Thanks, Chris and Lauren. That was great. Well, it's a pretty nice night, isn't it? How about that? You know, it's the 90s, but we've had low humidity. We've had a breeze. And now we even have shade. So nobody's whining now, right? Or, or I'm a happy camper, uh, so I hope you are too. Hey, did you pick up a uh, an outline? We ran off just a copy of kind of an outline of these talks to help you follow along. If you don't have one and you'd like one, there's a a cardboard box, a small box on the table in the back. So please feel free to get up and uh, help yourself or from wherever you're wherever you're seated. Welcome to everybody out there in the grass as well. And and can you hear me way back there? by the, what is that, the caramel corn? All right, they got a good seat back there. Well, turn with me in your Bible, would you, now to the second chapter of Ruth, a romance of redemption. This morning we traveled on a trail of tears with uh, Naomi and Ruth, and at the beginning of chapter one, Naomi was feeling so blessed by God, she had a husband and she had two sons to support and to love her. And yet by the end of the chapter, she is just reduced to a state of emptiness. No one around to help her except for that pesky Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. And she wasn't too sure, really, by this point, if, if she was going to be an asset for her or an embarrassment. And it wasn't Naomi's idea for Ruth to come back to Israel with her, you recall. The last thing she really needed was one more mouth to feed, one more body to clothe. Besides, having, having Ruth there by her side, it's going to be a constant reminder to, to her of the mistake she made 10 years earlier when she left the promised land to go live in the land of Moab. And Naomi had actually done her best to convince Ruth to stay put in Moab. Go, go back with your sister-in-law Orpah. Maybe you two will find new husbands, but why would you want to go to a strange land with an old trouble magnet like me? But Ruth wouldn't turn aside from her commitment to, to Naomi, to her people, to her God. And so here's this odd couple going back to Bethlehem, facing what was sure to be a bleak future together, depending on family charity or maybe whatever food they could manage to scround up for themselves. But then in, in the midst of all that darkness, at the very end of the first act of this drama, we saw there was, a, there was just a sliver of light that was starting to shine through the clouds. Chapter 1, verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So here's a little hint from the narrator that perhaps Naomi has not been reading her circumstances correctly. I mean, she saw her life as just being on a decline from fullness to emptiness, and yet now there's bread in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Could it possibly be that Naomi's future maybe isn't as bleak as she had presumed it would be? Well, let's find out. Ruth chapter 2 Hear the word of God. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And 
Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on the, her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you, for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. 
And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So, now the story's getting rather fascinating, isn't it? Here is this young immigrant gal named Ruth, and she has attracted the attention of this interesting man named Boaz. And as chapter 2 develops, we get the distinct impression that these two are well-suited for each other. They are, in fact, two of a kind. And in the providence of God, their paths have crossed so, will they or won't they? Inquiring minds want to know, right? So, let's, uh, let's take a look at what this chapter tells us about each of these two. First of all, it's plain that in Boaz, we're being introduced to a very godly man. Uh, again, in the Bible, uh, often a person's first recorded words are very significant. It tells us something about them, and that's certainly true of Boaz. His first words are addressed to his employees. In verse 4, where he says, The Lord be with you. And then they respond in kind, The Lord bless you. Some of you are thinking, Man, I wish I worked for a boss like that. But I, I think that the narrator includes that little, it's just a little incidental detail. It's not important to the story, right? Well, I think it, it, what makes it important is he's just giving us a little, little glimpse into the character of Boaz, that he is a very gracious and a God-centered man. He honors the Lord in his daily work, and he's respected by his workers. I mean, if you really want to know about a man's relationship with the Lord, well, see how he treats his employees or his employer. Watch how he relates to other people at work. Listen to the kinds of things he talks about. Listen to the kinds of words he uses. Boaz is such a God-centered man that his faith dominates the way he runs his farming business and the way that he relates to his employees. He greets them with God. And I know that can sometimes, all the spiritual talk can sound a little bit too flowery or pious platitudes, you know, if it's not sincere or if the person's walk doesn't match the talk. But Boaz is just a gracious man. He cares about his workers and he pronounces the blessing of God upon them. We can also see that Boaz is a godly man, not only because he's gracious and God-centered, but he's also compassionate and generous. As, as Boaz greets his workers, his eyes catch the presence of a stranger in his field whose young woman is this he says it's like to whom does she belong evidently the foreman had never even bothered to learn her, her name verse 6 he just he says well she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from Moab but you see uh, evidently on the first day of work Ruth has become sort of a spectacle People don't, haven't gotten to know her name or anything, but they've noticed her. She's out of place in this field. No green card, no legal right to be hired. Now, when she asked if she could glean among the sheaves, she wasn't asking to drive the combine, right? I mean, she, she's requesting that if the harvesters, if they just inadvertently happen to 
drop some ears of grain or if they leave some ears standing in the field, maybe she could be allowed to just gather up the scraps. And of course, the law of Moses specifically made provision for this. For example, Leviticus 23:22, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. It's interesting. So are like godly farmers, are they supposed to do that still today? Well, not exactly. I don't think so. But I do think that God is calling all of us, like, don't make it your goal to just squeeze every last ounce of profit out of your business. Instead, just see if you can be creative to find ways to share your wealth with people who are less fortunate. Look out for the destitute, for the immigrant, um, and sh show some compassion, you know. Plenty of landowners, they would have denied this gleaning privilege to someone like Ruth. I mean, there weren't any government officials roaming the land ready to enforce this law. Ruth is totally dependent on the goodwill of the local farmer. And she's now in the land of Israel. She knows something about Israel's God. She knows that Israel's God is the Lord. And you wonder, maybe did her mother-in-law or maybe her late husband, did they did they share with her, like Deuteronomy 10, 18, which says that the Lord executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and that the Lord loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing? All right, so that's what God does. But how does God do that? How does God do all that? Does, does he drop supplies out of the sky? Does, does he send it to those who are in need uh, by UPS? Well, of course, God's compassion is expressed through God's people, right? And so Naomi is hoping that she'll, she'll find somebody who shares the compassion of the God that she now worships. And Boaz is that man. Bo and in fact, go, Boaz goes way beyond expectations. He's like a loving father as he steps up to then to become a provider and a protector, a provider and a protector for Ruth. In, in verse 8, he initiates that conversation, a very warm conversation. But you notice he calls her my daughter. Evidently, she must be considerably younger than him. But Boaz is treating her like a member of his family. He says to her, there's no need for you to go anywhere else. You just stay right here in my field and stay just close to the other female workers. Don't you worry. I won't let anybody bother you. And then if she's thirsty, he tells her she can get a drink of water. Not just if she's drawing water for somebody else, which would have been the custom for foreigners in that culture. But Boaz instructs Ruth to drink from the water that his men have drawn. It's like, let them serve you, he says. Then in verse 14, he, he invites her to come near and have lunch with him. He shares his own food. And, and then he commands his men to deliberately be careless in their harvesting so that this poor widow will have an abundance of grain to take home with her. I mean, th this is a godly man. He protects and he provides. 
the chapter began by telling us in verse 1 that Boaz was a worthy man. Worthy man. What does that mean? Well, it could mean that, uh, that Boaz was a man of substance or, or wealth, that he was a pos- person of high standing in the community. He was worthy. Or it could mean that Boaz was noble with respect to his character. But clearly he was both. He, he was a man of influence and a man of integrity. And remember, these are the days when the judges ruled, when everyone seemed to be drifting from God and doing whatever was right in their own eyes. But even in these dark days of Israel's history, here was a man who knew the Lord, and he sought to do the Lord's will. And so if you, if you are a single gal of any age, and you're wondering in this crazy world, this dark world that we live in, are there any men of high character who are left out there? Well, take heart. Let this story bring you encouragement. There are godly men out there who are trusting in the Lord to lead them to somebody like Ruth, who is portrayed in this chapter as a virtuous woman. I'm sure Boaz was impressed with uh, how Ruth went about things. First, he must have recognized that uh, she had she showed a lot of faith and initiative. For her to venture into his field in the first place, I mean, she's taking a chance. As a poor immigrant woman, all by herself, trying to make a living, and yet she is she's not passively sitting at home or complaining. She's not feeling sorry for herself. She's determined to make something of her life. And at this point, she's making herself vulnerable, we know. Not just for herself, but for Naomi too. She's putting herself out there for her mother-in-law. In verse 2 of this chapter, when she goes, Naomi doesn't, she doesn't command Ruth to go out and get some work. But Ruth politely asks permission to do this. This faith and initiative of Ruth, I mean, throughout the story, we'll see how taking initiative is not contrary to faith. Uh, What does James say in the New Testament? That faith without action is useless. So Ruth steps out in faith that the Lord would provide for them somehow. We admire her faith and her initiative, but also her humility and gentleness. In verse 7, she politely asks Boaz if she can go work in his fields. All she wants to do is gather up the leftovers after the reapers are done. She just has a meek and gentle spirit. Can you sense that in the story? Now, Ruth may have been an introvert or an extrovert. I don't know. Virtuous women have many different kinds of personalities. But they're not demanding they're not aggressive. They, they, their presence brings peace wherever they are. In her peaceful humility, it, it appears again in verse 10 when she responds to the kindness of Boaz. She falls on her face. She bows to the ground and she says, why, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? I mean, you just, can you sense this woman is just profoundly grateful for every 
demonstration of the Lord's kindness in her life. Then also Ruth shows diligence and industry. Evidently she is an amazing worker. The foreman comments how she came early and she hardly stopped working since she got here. And later we're told that she gleaned until evening and then before she quit she beat out what she had gleaned and she measured it. She took it home to Naomi. Hard worker. It, it, th it kind of reminds you of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, doesn't it? She does not eat the bread of idleness, it says, but she rises while it is night and provides food for her household. So it's interesting that in the Hebrew Bible, did you know that the book of Ruth actually follows the book of Proverbs? So if you're reading in the Hebrew Bible, you read the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, you turn the page and you're introduced to Ruth. She is the virtuous woman. And Boaz is a godly man. In verse 12, take a look at verse 12. It's an important verse in this chapter. Boaz says that he, he's noticed how Ruth has take, taken refuge under the wings of the Lord. Remember that image, okay? The wings of the Lord. That's going to become also very important as this story moves along. But Boaz is impressed. Ruth seeks refuge under the Lord's wings. And then in verse 13, Ruth's heart is touched by the grace that she has received from Boaz. So, I mean, he is just as committed to caring for Ruth as Ruth is about caring for Naomi. They are two of a kind. But we would be missing the point. The main point, I think, of the chapter, if we missed the fact that all these circumstances are unfolding by the merciful hand of providence. We have a godly man, a virtuous woman, and we have a merciful providence. In verse 3, when Ruth goes out to glean, it says she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. What a coincidence, right? When it says she happened to, the, the Hebrew text literally says her chance chanced upon that field. Her chance chanced upon that field. Or like we might say, as luck would have it. Of course, the narrator is inviting us to see that there is no luck involved here. This is nothing other than a divine appointment that brought Ruth to the fields of Boaz at just the right time when he happened to be present there to meet her. We're supposed to sit up and take notice and say, wow, God is at work here. If something like that ever happened in your life, I bet it has. Well, Ruth's arrival at the field of Boaz, it's providential on two accounts. Not only is he a good man, but we're told he's also a relative of Elimelech. Now, as, as she wraps up her first day on the job, Ruth doesn't know. She doesn't know she's working for a relative of Naomi's late husband. But she hurries home to Naomi to tell her about her successful first day on the job. And Naomi is just astonished by how much barley she's brought back. And the two of them had plenty to eat that night. And plenty to talk about, don't you think? I mean, and Naomi's heart, you can tell, it just begins to soften toward God as she hears about Ruth's day. 
she begins to realize maybe the Lord isn't out to get her after all. In fact, maybe God really was smiling upon her. And as she explains to Ruth in verse 20, the kindness of the Lord was being shown to them through a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So it's a relative redeemer. Kinsman redeemer, sometimes it's called. But according to the Old Testament, a kinsman redeemer, he was obliged to buy back his relatives like if they fell into debt rather than sell themselves into slavery. They, there was a relative, a, a near relative, who was supposed to come to the rescue, buy them. And under certain circumstances, then the, the kinsman redeemer also had another obligation. He was supposed to marry the widow and raise up a child for his brother if he died childless. And in that way, the inheritance would continue to be associated with the man who had died. If this deceased, if he had no brother, then it, the nearest relative was supposed to step up and become the kinsman redeemer. So at this point in the story, we, it's not clear how cl just how close of a relative Boaz really is. And the law didn't really address how this might apply if a foreigner married into the family. And so there are plenty of loopholes that Boaz could slip through if he wants to escape any responsibility here. In any case, as, as Ruth continues working in his fields, the chapter ends with this sentence, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And that simple remark, it's meant to highlight the fact that she still has no husband. And so will Boaz take on this responsibility? That's the cliffhanger here at the end of the drama, the act two of this drama. Will he or won't he? Well, the matchmaking mother-in-law is about to find out, right? Naomi has a plan, and it will come to light in the next act, chapter 3, tomorrow morning. But the, great, the greatest lesson that I would just like to leave you with tonight to impress upon all of us is simply this, that the Lord has provided a Redeemer for us. What Naomi and Ruth, what they needed most was not simply a kinsman redeemer who could rescue them from earthly poverty and danger by marrying Ruth. What they needed most was a heavenly redeemer to rescue them from sin and death and hell. And that's our greatest need also. Praise God that he has provided a redeemer, right? Isn't that one of the titles of our Lord Jesus Christ? He is our Redeemer. He has provided redemption for us, and the price that He paid for us was His own blood shed on the cross. The sinless one became sin for us as He hung there so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It was out of His faithful love for us that God willingly paid that price in full. If your life has been hard, if your heart has become bitter, just ponder this amazing gift of God's grace and His kindness to you. 
Romans 8.32 says, Since God did not spare his own son, but he freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You can trust him to meet your every need. The Lord is faithful to guide and to provide. Whatever circumstances we encounter, we know that it comes to us from our Redeemer's hand, from his nail-scarred hand. Jesus knows what it is to suffer far beyond what any of us will ever experience. And he promises to walk with us through whatever trials come our way. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He is our refuge in the storms of life. Psalm 91 verse 4, under his wings you will find refuge. Under his wings. The book of Lamentations says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, that his faithfulness is great, and that his mercies are brand new every morning, that the Lord is good. He is good to those who wait for him. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let's pray together. as we bow here in the Lord's presence on a beautiful evening here at camp I wonder if the Lord is touching your heart through his word and if the Spirit of God might be breathing new life and new hope into you even now and in this moment of quiet prayer would you just respond to the Lord according to your need Have you welcomed Christ as your Redeemer and Savior? Have you trusted in Him? Christ died for sin once for all, the just one for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. Lord Jesus, we are humbled by Your great gifts. We pray, Lord, as You would enable us now we turn from our sins and we embrace the cross which is a mighty refuge which is the wings of God for us there at the cross where we're sheltered from the wrath of God to come sheltered from judgment and condemnation and hell through the redemption that was provided for us there so Lord we turn from our sins we trust in your cross we welcome you as our Savior and we help we ask God that you would help us find refuge under your wings day by day trusting your plan for our lives even if it's sometimes has seemed that you've turned away from us or that we've been we have been forgotten by you help us to wait upon you to discover your goodness your perfect timing truly you are our portion Lord and therefore we have hope Amen. Amen.